Let's pray together. God, we're just so grateful in this season of Thanksgiving. You've given us so much. And I'm, I'm not really talking about things. I'm talking about how you give us a relationship with you. You give us relationships with family, with friends, and you give us love and joy and peace. And so God, right now I just would ask those watching online, those here in the room, that, that you would open our hearts and minds for more of you, more of who you are. So God, would you speak to us even in this moment? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, during this very odd and unusual year, we've been having some kind of extra fun with our grown kids at the house. I don't know what your life has been like in 2020, but my daughter was graduated high school. She just graduated high school in the spring, and she had plans to go to Paris. She was going to be a nanny. She was going to work with a family that started a church that is connected to Gateway, and all of that obviously did not happen. But instead, she's taking classes at Austin Community College, and after working real hard, every few days she'll let us show her some of the classic films that my wife and I love. Movies like Sabrina with Harrison Ford, Notting Hill, or Father of the Bride. And then we'll even pull my son in every once in a while, and the the four of us will watch movies like 42 with Chadwick Boseman or Peanut Butter Falcon. But one of the favorite films that I've shown my family in this season was a movie, a documentary that won the Academy Award in 2013 called Searching for Sugar Man. Have you seen it? It's remarkable. It's the true story of a musician named Sixto Rodriguez. Comes out of Detroit in the late 60s, early 70s. A lot of his songs were about protesting and about overcoming oppression and A little known fact, we're not sure exactly how it got there, but somehow in South Africa, his music became incredibly popular. So popular, in fact, that Rodriguez was more well-known, more beloved than the Beatles or Elvis. And see, at that time, South Africa was under apartheid, and so it had been cut off from the world. And in that process... His fame only grew more and more, and, but no musicians could come in or out of South Africa. And what ended up happening is there was this rumor going around that Rodriguez had lit himself on fire during a concert in order to protest the Vietnam War. Well, his legend just grew more and more. Well, several years go by, and a guy from South Africa was in America talking about music, and he started talking about Rodriguez, and was shocked that no one in America knew about Rodriguez. And he said, you've never heard about this guy who, he was bigger than the Beatles, bigger than Elvis in South Africa, and he lit himself on fire. And everybody looked at him like he was crazy. What are you talking about? And so he decided to do a deeper investigation to find out whatever happened to Rodriguez. Well, the true story is he actually never really made it in America. No one really ever listened to his music. And so he ended up giving up and becoming a construction worker and getting a degree in philosophy, raising his three kids. And the guy doing the investigative work actually found Rodriguez, 60 years old, still doing construction, completely unaware of his fame all the way across the planet. 
And so he invited him to come and tour, and he gets there, and, and rumors in South Africa that Sixto Rodriguez is alive, could not, they couldn't believe it. And on that very first night of his very first concert, thousands of people were watching and, and ready to see, is it true, is Rodriguez truly alive? This frail older man walks out on stage, and the crowd erupts in a several-minute ovation. This guy who they thought was dead was actually alive. It's an amazing story, and why do I even talk about it? In this series we're concluding today called True North, we're looking at God's plan for humanity. So what does this story have to do with that? Well, just like the story of Rodriguez, depending on who you ask, some people have different views of who Jesus is. You see, some people just knew Rodriguez as a construction worker, a a, a philosopher, whereas on the other side of the planet, he was a rock star. Who do you see Jesus is? You, you might be here and, and you're skeptical about Jesus, or you see him as a great teacher, a philosopher, or a healer, a great example. Or you might even be here as a follower of Jesus, and, and you have this great connection with him. But I, I want to ask you the question, who do you really see Jesus is? Is it possible that, that we need to right-size our view of him? See, most Americans and most Christians even have a limited view of Jesus and God. In 2020, State of Theology survey, more than half of American adults, including 30% of those who call themselves Christians, say that Jesus is not God, but most agree he was a great teacher. 65% of evangelical Christians in the study were also found to agree with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God, which is different than Jesus is God and was with God in the beginning. Only 51% of Americans consider God to be an all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect, and just creator of the universe who still rules the world today. 44% of respondents actually said that Jesus was both man and God, and he sinned. See, these are limited views of God. What if our view of God, our, our view of Jesus is too small? What if we were to broaden our perspective? See, in the series True North, we were looking at how God had a plan to redeem humanity, and it was in place from the beginning. In week one, we looked at how Jesus is the snake crusher, and that those of us who follow Jesus actually have the capacity to crush snakes everywhere we go, that we can bring light and overcome the darkness everywhere we go. And then last week, we talked about the willing sacrifice, how on this little place called Mount Moriah, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, but God stopped him. And 2,000 years later, on that exact same spot, God's son, Jesus, willingly gave his life for you and for me. Now, I wonder, have you ever heard that Jesus never claimed to be God? Maybe you've thought that or have heard others say that. But what if I could show you that not only did Jesus make that claim, he actually demonstrated that he was far more than a teacher or philosopher or carpenter or healer. 
In fact, he referred to himself as the son of man. So where does that phrase come from? It actually comes from the story of Daniel in the Hebrew scriptures. Do you know the story of Daniel? I grew up in Texas, and so I went to Sunday school. And in Sunday school, when I was going in the 80s, we had flannel board. It was like the greatest advancement in technology at that point. And, and we learned the stories of Daniel as Daniel was in the lion's den, yet remarkably survived. And when my kids were little, there was a, a, a film, a short film that came out from Veggie Tales on another story called Rack, Shack, and Benny about the three friends of Daniel who somehow survived being thrown into the fire. Well, the context of Daniel is this. He was taken hostage. He was living in exile. The people of Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem and he was forced to live in a new place that had completely different values that went against his faith and yet he remained faithful. We can learn a lot from Daniel. In fact, maybe you feel that way, that culture has changed so much that you're not exactly sure how to navigate this world anymore. And we can discover, just as Daniel learned the ways of the Babylonians, but he never compromised in his faith. But one of the things that's really fascinating about Daniel is he knew how to interpret dreams. And he would actually have uh, this capacity to, to tell others what their dreams were about, and it moved him into a place of high position in the government. There's this other time in his life where he took personal responsibility for the sins of his nation, his ancestors, and even himself. And in the midst of that, God revealed some really remarkable things to Daniel, including the timeline of the coming Messiah and a vision of the Son of Man, the one human worthy of being worshipped, the one who would reign on an empty throne. Now here's what's interesting, is we actually have copies of the book of Daniel that come after uh, Daniel wrote them and before Jesus. In other words, the story of Jesus didn't, wasn't written in the story of Daniel before. These are prophecies that came well before Jesus. In fact, because of archaeological advances and discoveries and scientific advancements, we actually have more proof than my grandparents did that what is written in the Bible can be trusted. But one of the dreams that Daniel had is in chapter 7, and it shows how God is dealing with the chaos and evil of this world. Take a look. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now he goes on to describe these great beasts. One had a head of a lion, the other had a head of a bear, another a leopard, and then this fourth beast was the scariest of them all. And all the beasts had human feet and human minds. And the scariest of all these beasts was destroying everything. Now, let me ask you, have you ever had a spiritual dream or a vision? Now, now some dreams are just the result of too much ice cream before bed, right? You can kind of tell the difference. Have you ever had one of those crazy dreams? Like this dog. Watch this dog. Let me show you this dog having a dream. Biscuit, the sleepwalking running dog. 
Mercury. Don't you just wonder what in the world is he chasing? He's gonna get a rug burn, that poor thing. And I'm not talking about one of those kind of crazy dreams. I'm talking about there's times when God actually communicates to our heart through a dream. Now, this happens to some people more than others. But the key to understanding these kind of spiritual dreams is to become familiar with who God is as revealed in Jesus, as revealed through the scriptures. And we have some great resources to help you understand who God is and to understand the scriptures, whether it's our Inspire services on Sunday or life groups or Gateway U classes. There are other great resources like the Bible Project. In fact, this last week, we posted a video, the Son of Man video from the Bible Project to, to help get you ready for this time together today. And we shared it on your Facebook group for your campus. But if you really wanna grow, what, what really needs to happen is you need to start spending time with God personally. Learning who he is by spending time in the scriptures and time in prayer. And, and as you have a spiritual dream, it, it could be that you're, you're serving alongside, uh, alongside someone or, or in a community group with someone, a recovery group that has the capacity to understand what your dream was about because they know God's character, they know God's word, and maybe even have that spiritual gift. And what happened for Daniel is he actually had the interpretation given to him of this dream. See, these four beasts were actually representing four kings and their evil kingdoms. And the fourth king was the most brutal of all. But what we discover from this vision, this dream, is that God's plan was to overcome the evil rulers and evil empires, that the people of God would not suffer forever. Look at verse 27. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. See, Daniel caught a glimpse of a time in his future, a time when God's kingdom would be introduced to the world, a kingdom that is advanced not through weapons of war or bloodshed, but by faith, hope, and love, a kingdom that goes beyond borders, a kingdom for, for people from every nation. And see, what we discover from the story of Daniel and from the scriptures is that evil empires come and go. And that God gives us freedom to make choices and his purposes will prevail in spite of our choices. God has not abandoned us. And when oppressed people of God read the story from Daniel and they took heart knowing that their suffering and injustice that they were experiencing was temporary, that one day God would make all things right. Now, some of the stranger stories in the Bible show up in Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and the book of Revelation. And these visions and dreams include strange creatures. It's referred to as apocalyptic literature. Now, that word doesn't actually mean the end of the world. It just simply means unveiling. It's like an unveiling, a, a chance to see what's normally unseen in those realms. Now, as a kid, at youth camp, we didn't share ghost stories. We shared stories about angels and demons, and it freaked me out. And so we get to see kind of what's happening in this unseen realm. 
So why doesn't God just speak more clearly? Why does it have to be so cryptic and all these odd creatures? Why doesn't he just make it clear what's happening in the end times? Just tell us, who is the Antichrist? What is the mark of the beast? How are things going to end? You see, there's a lot of mystery in the Bible so that we will lean into our faith and into community. I mean, if God told us everything that's about to come, it would actually be quite boring or perhaps overwhelming to the point where we're stuck, where we're paralyzed. See, what's happening is these apocalyptic visions are using images that made a lot of sense to the people in the original audience, but it also kept the message unclear to the evil rulers that might get their hands on these documents. Only those with faith could understand the intended message. See, the reason we're looking at this particular passage isn't as much to determine that who these kingdoms represent, although most believe it was more likely Babylon, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks and the Romans, all diabolical, all oppressive, all came to an end. But there's this amazing moment in this dream where Daniel has something like a vision like we've heard some of these folks that had near-death experiences share. Listen to this. Chapter 7, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times, ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. The Ancient of Days is God. Daniel had a vision of God, which was similar to other visions that are described in Ezekiel and Isaiah and in Revelation. And what we see is that God has power over all the earthly kingdoms, all the beastly kings and their brutal empires. But did you notice something odd? In this vision of the Ancient of Days, of of God, Verse 9 tells us that thrones were set in place. Who could possibly be worthy of being on a throne next to God himself? Well, Daniel continues in this vision. Listen to what happens. Verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel saw a vision of a human being who will rule this new kingdom. A son of man, which simply means a man born of a woman. A human being who would be given all authority, all glory, and all power to rule over God's kingdom. One that would be worshipped by every, from a person from every tribe and people and nation. One that would ascend into heaven and take his place on God's throne. So who is the son of man? Well, Jewish people, after this vision of Daniel began circulating, wondered if maybe it was Moses coming back. You know, Moses, the one who led the people out of Egypt and into the promised land, but he didn't quite make it there. You see, he had anger issues. 
So maybe it wasn't Moses. Others thought, it's David. He was a great king and he led Israel to a great place of prominence, but he also made some really bad decisions, including taking a woman that was already married to be his wife and even having her husband killed. So maybe it's not gonna be David. Others that read this thought it might be someone from the Maccabee family. See, they revolted against the evil Antiochus Epiphanes and actually gained control of Israel. But that only lasted a couple generations before Rome came and oppressed them. Who is this son of man? Well, the plot gets thicker when you discover that this is the phrase that Jesus used to describe himself. More than any other phrase, Jesus was wanting to make sure that we understood he's more than a teacher, more than a philosopher, more than just a great example. And Jesus was so wise. See, what was happening in that day is they were looking for a Messiah, but they saw the Messiah as someone who would politically get rid of the Romans, that he would get rid of their oppressors. And so what was happening in that time is that very few were looking for the Son of Man, but everyone was looking for the Messiah. And Jesus, rather than just saying out loud that I'm the Messiah, I'm the promised one, he actually demonstrated that he was this Messiah in the way he healed people, the way he was with the overlooked and the outcast, the way that he would actually care for people and teach with wisdom that no one had ever heard. So why didn't Jesus just come right out and tell everybody who he was? Well, he's smart enough to know that if he had said that, those who wanted the status quo would have killed him before it was his time to give his life. Or others would have forcefully made him become a political king, which was not his purpose. That's why Jesus taught in parables. He he would speak in a way that the religious leaders couldn't quite figure out what he meant, but those who had an open heart understood exactly what he meant, even though they heard the exact same thing. You see, faith and the Bible are like a Rorschach test. You heard of this? In the 1920s, Dr. Rorschach created these ink blots, and he could tell that what was in your heart is what you would see on that paper. Different people looking at the exact same thing, but seeing something differently. See, if you and I have an open heart and open mind, when we come to God, when we come to the scriptures, we experience something. But if we have a closed mind, it doesn't seem to even help. Let's be honest in this moment. Are you a closed-minded person? I mean, no one wants to think of themselves that way, but is it possible you've come to closure too soon on who you think God is or what God can do in your life? There's a great quote, novelist and screenwriter Andrew Clavin writes this in his book, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. He writes this, if you believe, the evidence is all around you. If you don't believe, no evidence can be enough. You see, Jesus used a phrase to describe himself that did not immediately bring to mind his true identity to most people, but some knew exactly what he meant. John Piper says it this way, Jesus was claiming a very exalted role in the history of redemption, and he meant to do it. 
Jesus was very subtle in that he was always opening his identity to those with eyes to see, but he wasn't opening it so blatantly that everybody would come and make him king. Just listen to the ways that Jesus spoke of the Son of Man. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Or truly, I tell you, the renewal of all things when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. Jesus predicts that the Son of Man would be betrayed, handed over to his enemies, killed, rise on the third day, and ascend in glory to sit on the glorious throne next to God. And this is what happened. John Piper goes on, only when the time was right, mainly when he was on trial for his life, and they said, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? Did he say, I am. And you will see the Son of Man coming with great power and glory. So he confessed he was God right at the point where he knew he would be crucified for it. I am the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of Man. How how do you see Jesus most often? It's easy to get sucked into Americana churchianity and see him as an eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus, like, Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights? Or do you see him as fully God and fully human? Or do you limit your view of God? You you can tell that you have a small view of Jesus if you see him as a teacher because you only go to him when you need new insights in your life. You know you have a small view of Jesus. You see him as just a prophet when you only go to him when you aren't sure what to do. You know you have a small view of Jesus. You see him as just a healer when you only go to him when you are sick. Or you know you have a small view of Jesus when you see him as just a great example when you only consider him when things are falling apart. See, we need to right-size our view of who Jesus is. When we see him as who he really is, the one who came to rescue us, the one who is worthy of worship, the one who rules along with God, it changes us. It transforms us. We live differently. We experience life as God intended. And if you are a follower of Jesus, your life should be so bright, so filled with love and joy and peace that others see what you have and want him in their life. Listen to what John 17, three says. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, life comes from God and his name is Jesus. A relationship with God has so many different analogies in the scriptures. He's referred to as a heavenly father or as like a mother who nurtures her young or like a spouse who is willing to sacrifice or like a friend or a, a, someone who's closer than a brother. But none of them fully capture the beauty of a friendship with God. Let me share personally for a moment. 2020 has been a really difficult year for many of us. We've experienced disappointment and loneliness, isolation, grief over racial injustice, fear, missing friends and extended family, 
job loss, economic uncertainty, anxiety, debilitating panic attacks, division among close friends and family because of the election or the pandemic, visits with counselor, mounting bills, moving to save money, a trip to the ER, a trip to the cardiologist, a new heart medicine. And all of this is just describing what it's been like for my family of four. For some of you, it's been far worse. You didn't just lose some income. You lost your ability to work. Or maybe you've lost a loved one. For others of us, this season, we've fared far better. But I can tell you that in the midst of such a challenging year, there have been moments with God and with my family that I find this whole experience worthwhile. I think we're going to look back on 2020 and see God did an amazing thing in us and through our church family. I mean, even for us personally, it's been amazing to see how what we thought was a loss has actually turned into an upgrade, even as we moved into a new place this last week. And we've always had enough. It's almost like curbside H-E-B is our manna from heaven. Our bills are paid even as we continue to give to God through this church. And people in this church and our family have been with us and supportive of us in ways we have rarely needed or could have imagined. Whether it's praying or sharing meals or helping us move or a note of encouragement. But one of the greatest parts of this whole season, it's hard for me to even talk about without getting emotional. You see, in the midst of all of this, every morning, I experience God. Every day, when I open the scriptures and I come to him in prayer, I I can sense his peace and his presence. And I wish I could give that to you. I, I wish I could make you feel that. I even describe it or put it into words, but how do you, how do you put into words what it, what it feels like to be loved unconditionally? How can you even put into words what it's like to be forgiven? All the guilt taken away. How can you put into words what it feels like to be found when so often you've felt so lost? See, God's desire for you and for me isn't just to believe in a a list of facts about Christmas or Easter. What he wants is your heart. He wants you. He wants me. I wonder, have you discovered a connection with God that helps move you through the challenging days in life? that overflows into bringing hope and life to others. There was this moment when Jesus was with his disciples and he asked them, what do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, they think of you as a prophet. And then he made it personal and he said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? The scriptures tell us that Simon was the first to recognize who Jesus really was when he replied, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus affirmed Simon that God had revealed it to him. In fact, he renamed him in that moment, Peter, which means rock, and said, it's on this kind of faith I'm going to build the church. And so I'm gonna pose that question now to you. 
Jesus is asking, who do you say I am? Are you living the kind of life that demonstrates he is the one worthy of worship, ruling a kingdom that brings faith, love, and hope everywhere on this planet? I wanna give you four very quick takeaways. I want you to choose at least one. Every single one of us, choose at least one. First, perhaps your next step is to say yes to following Jesus. You're, you're tired of trying to navigate life on your own. Uh, and maybe you're thinking, well, I just need more evidence. Let me just say, the evidence is all around you. Do you see it? The way to connect to God, the way to begin a relationship with God, the one who loved you and created you on purpose and with a purpose is incredibly simple, but it changes everything. All you have to do is just repeat these words after me in your heart, whether you're in the room or, or watching online. Just, just say, God, I need you. Forgive me. I need what Jesus did by dying on the cross to count for me. Lead me. It's just that simple, and yet it changes everything. It's not the only conversation you need to have with God, but it's the first and if that is a decision that you have made, even in this moment, if you prayed that prayer, I would just encourage you to let us know. We want to help you in the journey. Just text the word CONNECT to 512-402-3773 and just fill out that digital connect card. We want to help you in the journey. Grow to become all God has created you to be. Here's the second one. Dive deeper into the real story of Jesus and I want you to do that by being with us every Sunday throughout this series coming up, but also spending time with God during the week. Whether you're still unsure about God or you've fallen stagnant in your relationship with him or you just want to dive deeper, let me encourage you, just go to Bible.com and choose the reading plan, Connecting with God, and just read through Luke, and there's videos to help give context, but just open your mind. Every time you read, just come to it and say, God, if there's more of you that you have for me, just open my heart and mind. And just allow God to speak to you through the scriptures. Number three, give thanks. Thanksgiving shouldn't just be a day where we eat too much turkey. It should be how we view life. See, when we lack gratitude in our life, it creates distance in our heart towards God, but also distance towards others. I want to encourage you, for the next seven days, just write down seven things for which you're grateful every single day in your journal or post it online if you'd like. But just become more aware of God's good gifts in your life. Number four, invite others to join us on Sundays. As hard as this year may have been for you, can you imagine having to experience this year without the faith that you might have? And there's so many others that are more open to God and spiritual things. People are putting up Christmas lights just after Halloween. People want peace and hope. Invite them to join us either online or in one of our local campuses. Look for opportunities to extend the love of God so I want to invite you as the band sings this song to just connect your heart with God, just to let him share with you how much he loves you. Let him guide you into your next step.